was like, pow, 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 pow. Now on the news hour, fatal interaction, the deadly officer involved shooting in a North Vancouver neighborhood. Plus. Our officer who was driving that vehicle did sustain some serious injuries to his head, some very serious lacerations to his head. Narrow escape, the photo showing the damage done by a massive boulder to a police cruiser and how close it came to the officer behind the wheel and. Basically just a nice friendly multicultural camp. The park is belong to everyone. The debate over dismantling homeless encampments and the growing divide between neighbors. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thank you for joining us. The province's police watchdog is now investigating a fatal police-involved shooting in North Vancouver that left an allegedly armed woman dead and residents of the quiet complex where it happened asking a lot of questions tonight. RCMP say the encounter began with two separate calls to 911 and ended with an officer firing their weapon. Kamal Kramali has our top story. A North Vancouver woman's encounter with police Saturday night turned deadly after an officer fired multiple shots. It kind of like sounded like fireworks, kind of. It was like pow, 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 pow. BC RCMP says it got the call around 7.30 to a report of a woman allegedly trying to attack another person with a weapon at this co-op housing complex. Then a second call of a woman trying to break into a home. When officers arrived, BC RCMP says attempts were made to take the woman into custody. When that didn't work, a confrontation led to an officer firing their gun several times. I heard something outside. I wasn't really sure what it was. I thought maybe it could be gunshot. Now the police watchdog, the Independent Investigations Office, is looking into the incident and what led to the officer killing the woman who may have also had a weapon during the interaction. We are confirming at this point that we understand um, that a, a weapon may have been involved. The individual who unfortunately is deceased may have been acting in a way which uh, caused others to fear, which is why the original call was placed to police. I was really frightened. 11-year-old Hero Thomas heard the gunshots from his room. kind of felt scared because, like, it was, like, around me. Like, it sounded really loud. So I was kind of scared. Residents of this co-op who did not want to go on camera told Global News the incident has left them shaken and traumatized. Some of these people have lived here for years and years and years and years, and they're very tight. They've built a really strong community. A tight-knit community now waiting for answers on what happened that led to such a deadly result. Kamal Karamali, Global News. We first heard last night about the very narrow escape of a West Vancouver police officer who survived a rock slide on the North Shore on Friday. Now we're seeing firsthand just how close that officer came to a massive boulder that crushed his unmarked police cruiser. Catherine Urquhart has the details in the exclusive photos of a totaled vehicle and its very lucky driver. Newly obtained photos show the crushed front end of an unmarked police vehicle. It was pulverized by boulders Friday night following a rock slide. Inside this SUV was a member of the West Vancouver Police Department, an officer who is fortunate to be alive. I've seen photos from that scene and some of those rocks are the size of small vehicles. I think given the extensive damage to his vehicle, 
Um, we're extremely lucky. Our officer, however, who was driving that vehicle did sustain some serious injuries to his head, some very serious lacerations to his head. Um, he was transported to a hospital by emergency health services. The slide came down on the road up to Cypress Mountain Resort. A second vehicle was also hit. The occupants of that car were unharmed and were able to assist the officer, who continues to improve. The good news is that the officer has now been released from hospital. He's at home and is expected to make a full recovery. At the scene of the rock slide, a number of boulders remain by the side of the road. We have no um, explanation as to why this may have happened um, or, or what the state of the hillside is in that area. Whatever caused the slide, these photos leave no doubt about the seriousness of the incident. The mangled police vehicle evidence the consequences could have been tragic. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A statement from the Transportation Ministry says there was no history of rock falls at that site and that it appears the rock slide was triggered by recent rainfall. The ministry says engineers have now assessed that site and deemed it safe. Vancouver police are looking for witnesses and dash cam footage after a disturbing and random Remembrance Day attack on a senior. It happened around 5.30 Friday evening in the 800 block of Heatley Avenue in Strathcona. Police say a 74-year-old woman was on her way to catch a bus to work when a stranger pushed her down and threatened her with a knife, demanding cash. The victim screamed and the suspect fled as witnesses came to her aid. The senior was shaken up and sustained minor cuts and scrapes. The male suspect was wearing a gray hoodie and is thought to be in his teens or early 20s with a medium build. It's alarming. Um, we see incidents like this uh, far too often. Um, predatory behavior by people who are likely choosing their victims based on um, their age, their vulnerability, because they seem to be easy prey. I don't walk around at night by myself anymore. It's just, um, I don't know, there's been a lot of attacks in the last couple of years. Um, I personally have been followed home before a number of times um, just by people in the area. There was one night I was getting followed by a car and I had to like run into someone else's backyard. It was really scary. A desperate search is underway tonight for a missing young man who may have headed to the Vancouver downtown east side. The family of Darius James Rex Smallboy has been plastering posters all over neighborhoods and parts of Vancouver looking for any sign of the 22-year-old who went missing on November 3rd. His family says Darius has been dealing with an addiction to painkillers recently following an injury, but that he was willing to work on a plan to deal with his pain. His loved ones just want to know where he is so they can get him help. But I just want to find, find out and make sure he's okay. And I want to uh, uh, try to find a way to help him, you know, to help him deal with what's going on with the struggle that he's going through. And uh, my family has really come together to, to help and, and, you know, to show him that, you know, he, he's loved and that we all miss him and, you know, we want him to be okay. Vancouver police say Darius was reported missing on November 7th. Their missing persons unit is investigating the case. New Westminster police are asking for your help in finding a missing teenager. Tate Odahall is six foot one with a slim build and he may be wearing a green Nike jacket. If you know where Tate is or if you see him, call New Westminster police. 
Members of a legion in the Okanagan are still picking up the pieces from a heartless Remembrance Day theft. Hundreds of dollars of cash meant to help Canadian veterans were swiped from the Poppy Fund in Summerland. But as Taya Fast reports, it's not all negative news, with overwhelming support now flooding in from locals. Nobody thinks this is ever going to happen, especially to a legion, especially on Remembrance Day. A theft so brazen it's almost inconceivable. The ATM destroyed donations and the security footage gone. Thousands of dollars worth of damage caused inside the Summerland Legion just hours after Remembrance Day ceremonies on Friday. It, it's a big loss and it, it was just Remembrance Day when we're all thinking of our veterans and somebody comes along and does this, it's very devastating. According to the Legion, thieves broke in Friday night after disabling the security system. And I think it's somebody that has knows exactly what they're doing because they took out all our security systems. On top of the extensive damage and stolen ATM money, the robbers made off with around $700 from the Poppy Fund, money that the branch desperately needs. We helped our veterans with whatever they need and um, that fund is gone, so we will have to rebuild that. Um, and, and it's just sort of a disgrace against uh, the branch and against those people that have, have uh, gone before us. The brazen theft on the most important day of the year for the Legion has left branch members at a loss for words. Somebody that uh, has absolutely no feeling toward anybody that has laid down their life for this country or for freedom in general. Um, the lack of respect is going through the community as, as a whole. But the community has come together in an effort to get the branch back up on its feet. And on Sunday, volunteers put together a turkey noodle soup and bun fundraiser. With the community behind us the way they are, we probably will recoup most of it. It's, it's just the fact that it happens on that day that's so bad. The Legion is accepting monetary donations in person at the branch or by mail in hopes of raising enough to cover what the thieves took. If we can get back on our feet uh, with the equipment that uh, we've lost, um, replace the cash that was taken, we'd be extremely pleased with that. Uh, anything over and above will be uh, put to uh, put back to the community and, and uh, so um, we're just going to hope for the best on, on that, uh, but the community has been very, very supportive of us, so it's very appreciated. If anyone has information regarding the theft, they're asked to contact Summerland RCMP. TFS Global News, Summerland. Surrey's newly minted city council is expected to make a major pivotal vote on the future of policing in that city tomorrow night. On the agenda for tomorrow's council meeting is a scheduled vote on a staff report outlining two options. To keep the RCMP in the city under its current contract or move forward with the divisive transition to a municipal police service. If councillors vote to maintain the RCMP, staff will then present a plan to Solicitor General Mike Farnworth on how the transitioning municipal force would be dismantled. There's a lot hinging on that vote for the city's newly elected mayor, Brenda Locke, whose main campaign promise had been to scrap the move to a municipal police force and keep Mounties in Surrey. 
What's in a name? Members of the B.C. Liberal Party will be asking themselves that very question this week. Starting today until Tuesday, the party is holding an online and phone-in vote, proposing to change the party's name to B.C. United. The results are set to be announced on Wednesday. Delegates voted in favor of a rebrand this past June, and among more than 2,000 suggestions, the party says B.C. United was the front-runner. If the vote passes, it will have to be ratified during a party convention, likely early in the new year, before eventually being implemented by party leader Kevin Falcon. Coming up, reaction to a dramatic pledge from the province from those without housing. We're a community. We just, we just want to live. We don't necessarily function the same as everyone else. What those living in the encampments the province has vowed to dismantle have to say in response to the incoming Premier's bold new plan. Plus... Demolishing existing housing to help alleviate homelessness. Why two buildings on the downtown east side could soon be torn down. We'll explain after the break. The province's incoming premier says he plans to address tense cities in Vancouver's downtown east side immediately and get people into suitable housing with support. But as Kristen Robinson reports, that likely won't be as simple as it sounds. The B.C. Supreme Court has already rejected the park board's request for an injunction to act on one entrenched encampment in the city where those living in tents say they're not budging. With million-dollar city and mountain views, the tents at Crab Park are attracting new residents. Basically just a nice, friendly, multicultural gypsy camp. Kevin Morris rolled into town from Ontario about two months ago, seeking stability on the West Coast. Some of us have PTSD. Some of us were raised differently. Some of us just don't like living in a house in a conventional lifestyle. But BC's incoming premier says encampments are not safe due to fires and violence. Crab Park saw a stabbing spree last month. 42-year-old Dennis Slightholm, who stabbed a man to death on the downtown east side in 2015, is accused of aggravated assault. In May, Crab Park was the scene of a fatal stabbing the city's fourth homicide of the year. What we need to do is get people out of the tents into decent shelter uh, and into uh, social housing and supportive housing if they need it and into health care if they need it. If he cares so much about the uh, homeless people getting put into shelters and going through the housing programs and all the dangers about fires here and uh, harm reduction, then first of all, why are the shelters half empty? Earlier this year, a judge refused to grant the park board an injunction to clear this encampment. But David Eby says the core of this and other court decisions is people need to be treated with dignity and respect. It can't be that the current state is an example of respect for human rights and the law. We can do better. If we get the housing that we need, um, and if we give people the resources that we need, it will actually be cheaper than keeping people in misery. They don't want to move from there because if they go into an apartment, they have to pay the rent. Downtown Eastside resident and dog owner Emmanuel Santagoya says it's time the park was returned to all users. The park is belong to everyone and we need the space, you know, to enjoy our life. Morris, meantime, says he's picking up a folding couch so his tent can accommodate guests. What's your goal from here? How do I need a goal from here? Life is great right now. Kristen Robinson, Global News. 
A report going to the City of Vancouver's Standing Committee on Policy and Strategic Priorities this week recommends Council approve the demolition of two downtown Eastside buildings to make way for social housing. The demolition permits are for the single-room accommodations at 172 East Cordova and 307 Main Street. If approved, the 20 rooms in the two buildings would be replaced by an 11-story mixed-use building with 118 social housing units, including 40 self-contained units for singles to rent at income assistance rates. The housing project was given the green light in September, subject to the approval of those demolition permits. Coming up, could mask mandates be making a comeback? The goal of all of this, and everybody agrees, regardless of whether it's a strong suggestion or a mandate, is to try and get as many people as possible to wear masks. Well, not yet, although Ontario is expected to announce new measures to curb respiratory illnesses tomorrow. We'll tell you what to expect. Plus. I love you. I love you. I love you. <laughs> the affectionate bird who is freakishly smart and won't stop talking. Meet Kiwi, the avian Canadian sensation. That's coming up a bit later in the show. Stay with us. Well, across the country, the debate on whether to make masking up mandatory is back just as cold and flu and COVID season arrives. The idea of more mandates is political and divisive in many provinces, including in Ontario, where the province's top doctor is expected to make a strong recommendation instead tomorrow. Sean O'Shea reports. With Canadian hospitals overstressed with more sick patients than they can handle, the rise of respiratory illnesses has the medical community and parents worried across the country. It's absolutely alarming and it's urgent that we see, you know, some sort of mitigation because I can't imagine it getting worse at this rate. In Alberta just this week, more than 20,000 sick calls to schools in Edmonton prompted concern. And in Ontario, the chief executive officer of Toronto's Hospital for Sick Children has publicly asked that Ontario once again require masks in public settings. Other doctors agree with that idea. For those of us who are advocating for the mandate, it's because the crisis is here now in an attempt to do whatever you can to mitigate further spread. Pediatric intensive care units in Ontario are operating beyond capacity. Many doctors say masks are needed. The goal of all of this, and everybody agrees, regardless of whether it's a strong suggestion or a mandate, is to try and get as many people as possible to wear masks in indoor crowded settings. Masks are unpopular with a lot of Canadians right now. Not myself, not so much, no. I've uh, become accustomed to not wearing a mask as of late. And given a choice versus being required to wear one, this man's opinion is a common one. If it was a recommendation at this point, I think I would probably not wear a mask. Uh, that's me personally. But Ontario's Premier making a political stop to announce he's extending a gas tax break isn't ready to make that the law again. Day one, all the way through the pandemic, I've always listened to the Chief Medical Officer of Ontario. Dr. Kieran Moore is expected to announce a mask recommendation Monday, nothing more. And Premier Ford told reporters hospital CEOs haven't asked him personally for a mandate. Seven uh, hospitals that I spoke to, CEOs, yes, do they, they want uh, masking. Uh, no one told me they wanted mandatory masking. The call for governments to do more in the face of more respiratory illnesses is growing. We just need something. Right now there's nothing at all. We're just navigating this on our own as parents and as families. The decision to require masks or take other measures may be based on medical recommendations, but ultimately they're political decisions, ones that provincial governments haven't been prepared to make yet. Sean O'Shea, Global News, Toronto.
Tomorrow is World Diabetes Day, and to mark the occasion, BC Children's Hospital is screening a new documentary featuring some of the groundbreaking work that local researchers are doing in the search for a cure. I'm not afraid of death, but I need to be here for my daughter. That's what this is about. The documentary called The Human Trial follows a pair of patients as they receive an innovative clinical trial using stem cell treatment for type 1 diabetes. Vancouver is the largest participant in the trial. Dr. Bruce Verscher is a leading diabetes expert at BC Children's Hospital. He says he's hopeful about the current research, including the promise of stem cell therapy, which replaces cells that are no longer producing insulin. There's research going on across the spectrum to try to find that cure. And that's what we're celebrating today with this release of this film, is the uh, idea that a cell therapy could be a potentially a functional cure for type 1 diabetes. I fully believe there's going to be a cure in five years. I say that. People always shoot their eyebrow up like you just did. And especially the patient community, they think I drank the Kool-Aid of the biotech industry. And I say I didn't drink the Kool-Aid. I, I was there shooting this research. We're standing in a lab, one of the top labs in uh, Canada, that's doing similar research to the, what I profiled in the film. And we know that it's working. We know that the science at a, very, at a basic level is working. My quality of life has improved with the technology and with the research and following it through, right, to make sure that I don't have to think about it as much um, now as I did in the very beginning. And that's due also to the research. So. Yeah, it's been a it's been a you know a journey, of course, but it is it is me with diabetes, not I'm a diabetic. So According to Diabetes Canada, type 1 and 2 diabetes claim the lives of more than 41,000 Canadians every year. Tickets for the screening are almost sold out, but you can also catch it online if you want at thehumantrial.com. Experiencing a Canadian winter and the cold that comes with it can be a shock to anyone arriving from overseas, even here on BC's so-called wet coast. That's why a local aid group is doing their part to spread the warmth this season. Calsa Aid Canada's Metro Vancouver team distributed winter jackets today for free to international students. The group says their winter drive campaign helps them provide outreach to students who are likely living away from home for the first time while also trying to navigate the challenges of obtaining health care, housing and employment in this province. With the jackets, it's kind of an incentive to bring students into our offices um, and show, uh, bring out support services for them. There's a lot of help and support for students that they're not aware of when they first come into Canada. Um, so we have um, organizations such as WorkSafe BC, Surrey RCMP, food banks, um, Fraser Health, and mental health services and financial services um, so they can talk to them and see what kind of support they need if they need it right now. And, and, and we want them to feel free and open to ask for help because a lot of them don't know about these services and um, we want to make them aware. Coming up, a timely reminder for outdoor enthusiasts. We're definitely a couple of weeks ahead of schedule for what we would normally see. Still a month out from winter, already search and rescue missions and below freezing temperatures and snow are spiking. What search and rescue have to say, that's after the break. Well, believe it or not, it is still not officially winter for more than a month, but you might not know it in the Okanagan where we've already seen significant snowfall. That spike in snow is bringing with it a rising number of recent rescues of outdoor enthusiasts, sparking a warning from search crews. Jaden Wozni reports. 
we're definitely a couple of weeks ahead of schedule from what we would normally see. Friday afternoon, Vernon Search and Rescue responding to a call of an injured snowmobiler in the Hunter's Range area near Mara. The earliest winter season rescue the organization has ever responded to in its history. Our first go is deploy a sled team, but with unknown injuries and potential of serious nature, we called in a helicopter. Light being what it was and weather being what it was, we were actually able to fly in and rescue him. Naren adding that despite snowfall across the valley, the base can be deceptive and hazards often lie just below the surface. The challenge is that the snow is still low, so having a, a shallow depth of snow, there's obstacles in the way and if you strike something, there is a potential that uh, you will incur an injury. Vernon Search and Rescue providing some tips for those who plan on going out into the backcountry this winter. Survival equipment that you need, extra clothing is always great, and base layers, and going where you say you're going to go. Because having a place to start is really important when you are overdue for search and rescue. The ambulance paramedics of BC also stressing the importance of wearing a helmet when skiing or snowmobiling in the backcountry. One of the injuries we do see uh, quite common is, is, uh, is people not using a helmet in the backcountry. And, and uh, definitely if we could uh, advise everyone, don't just leave it in your backpack, actually put it on. Each winter, Vernon Search and Rescue says it's called out to an average of 21 to 25 rescues. Jaden Wozni, Global News. Okay, let's bring in meteorologist Yvonne Shalavon. Speaking of winter weather, what can we expect in the forecast this week? It is going to be a bit milder for many areas across the province. Sarah, we've got a ridge of high pressure that's building in, and what we're tracking in the coming days will be plenty of sunshine, but it'll be cooler for some of the temperatures, especially starting off in the early morning hours, paired with some fog across the region. I actually wanted to pull up the almanac just to show you where our numbers are right now. We bumped up to around 8 degrees through the day today. We're right around the normal. We saw that same temperature last year, and a record of 14 degrees was set back in 1971. Minus 12 was the record low on this day and that was back in 1955. So we'll actually be around the average in the coming days. We'll see highs anywhere between 8, potentially up to 10 degrees and I'll show you that in just a moment. Currently we're sitting at minus 1 for areas near Pemberton, West Van at 4 degrees, Agassiz current temperature at 7, a few other spots across the province at this hour with Prince George at minus 2. Good evening into Fort Nelson at minus 5 and along the north coast with Prince Rupert currently sitting at 6 degrees. Now, overnight tonight, we'll anticipate some fog patches, and we'll see this for many areas across the province. So do keep that in mind. Overnight, for the early morning hours, when we're heading out for work and school, it'll be chilly. You will want to bundle up. And then through the afternoon, the sunshine is going to appear. It'll be a nice break. A clearing is on the way, and we'll climb up to 8 degrees. So it's very similar to what we've been seeing in the last few days, and we'll continue to track that, especially as we get in through the afternoon hours for tomorrow. We've got this ridge of high pressure. This is the weather story and feature that we're following in the coming days. What we'll anticipate is that fog, Valley cloud for the morning hours and then sunshine as we get in through the afternoon. If you're traveling along the mountain passes, it's going to be dry, not anticipating any snowfall, but there is going to be that fog. So a few spots may see some limited visibility. Uh, slow down if you're on the roadways through those areas, but it is going to be dry and a nice clearing, especially as we get in through the afternoon. There is that ridge of high pressure that will build in the coming days. We'll see it continuing likely with that drawing trend even towards the end of the week. Now the northern half of the province, a snapshot for tomorrow will bump up to 7 degrees. It'll be chilly though. A few spots inland. Smithers notice overnight tonight we're down to minus 11 and then through the day tomorrow up to minus 5. We'll see those temperatures into the minus teens with the wind chill when you factor it in for the early morning hours. That'll be for the southern interior and then it warms up with some sunshine through the afternoon. Across the island similar with some morning fog patterns. 
patches dissipating sunny through the day tomorrow and most areas across the lower mainland seeing that range in temperatures between 8 and 9 degrees. So pretty pleasant looking forecast in the coming days. Just keep in mind early morning hours. We've got some fog patches. It'll be cool. We'll be hovering the freezing mark. Give yourself a little extra time uh, for the frost out on the windshield, but then it warms up as we get in through the afternoon. Sarah. Okay, looking good. Thanks so much, Yvonne. Well, for many, it signifies the start of the holiday season and a chance to get a head start on some Christmas shopping. Christmas spirit is in the air at Jackpool Plaza, where the Vancouver Christmas market opened up to the public this weekend. The outdoor German-style market is celebrating its 12th year in downtown Vancouver. Organizers bring in unique vendors all the way from Germany to provide an authentic experience. This year, two dozen new vendors have been added with plenty of new food and merchandise. There's lots of sampling happening in that area. We have our Christmas carousel. Uh, we have so many new photo opportunities as well. We have a sky curtain. We have a schwipbogen that's right behind us here. And now to an unusual sight in downtown Vancouver today that had people craning their necks. A helicopter crew was tasked with the delicate challenge of transporting and helping to install a large-scale LED sign on the roof of a building on the corner of West Georgia and Thurlow Streets. Some surrounding streets and sidewalks were closed for the duration of the operation. The city of Vancouver says the helicopter transported four pieces of signage in total, with the heaviest piece weighing 6,000 pounds. Holy cow, that's wow. a big operation. I don't know if they're so heavy. <laughs> 6,000 pounds is the same weight as a rhinoceros or an elephant. Oh, way. wow. I looked okay. it up. So. <laughs> Asa, I like the comparison. Fact. It's good comparison. research. <laughs> Asa, oh, let's talk about the Lions. I know you're coming up later in sports with some highlights. Yeah, let's do mm -hmm. it. Uh, big game for the Vancouver uh, Vancouver Canucks as well, but uh, mm -hmm. yeah, the BC Lions in a big one in Winnipeg, uh, taking on the Blue Bombers in the West Final. It was exciting, some great plays, some incredible highlights and things you normally don't see in a football game, so definitely want to check that out. And yeah, the Canucks, uh, the good thing about uh, the Canucks game, I guess, is that they didn't blow a two-goal lead. I'll leave it at that. Okay. Suspense. I <laughs> love it. <laughs> okay. We'll see you both soon. Thanks so much. Coming up, lights, camera, action, and a focus on Hollywood North's demographics. I've been working a lot, and I've been seeing a lot of my, uh, you know, female friends who are directors also working. The first-of-its-kind report detailing the main characters of Canada's film and entertainment industry. What the statistics show, that's after the break. The sight of film production crews in many BC communities is now commonplace. But how many Canadians are calling the shots on those film sets? For the first time, the Directors Guild of Canada has taken a snapshot of their current membership. And as Julie Nolan reports, the findings reveal where the gender gap still remains within an industry that's still heavily dependent on Hollywood North. Not anything we can't do. The Misha Mukherjee has been a director for 15 years and she's witnessed tremendous change in BC's film and TV industry. It's an exciting time. I know it took a long time to get here. According to a report by the Directors Guild of Canada, an overwhelming 89% of male directors took charge of episodic work 10 years ago compared to just 11% by women. But that gender gap is closing. Last year, male directors made up 52% of the work in BC, while females directed 47%. Plus, for the first time ever, gender non-conforming or GNC directors made up 1% of the available work. I've been working a lot, and I've been seeing a lot of my uh, you know, female friends who are directors also working.
And while important progress is being made, there's still not enough diversity in BC, specifically a lack of Asian directors. And we're really not seeing them represented. Stay hidden. Another disparity is regional work. Even though BC's film industry successfully weathered the pandemic and still attracts work like dozens of Hallmark movies from the U.S. each year, most Canadian-based work goes elsewhere. A lot of the national broadcasters, either uh, Telefilm or CBC, really putting all of their resources in, into Ontario and not really spreading them equally across the country. Numbers show last year the CBC shot 68% of English language shows in Ontario. Manitoba had 8% while BC only had 6%. Without Canadian work, the Guild says local talent and storytelling isn't cultivated. If we don't have a domestic industry, we're not bringing up and training up those local creatives and we're completely dependent on the U.S. We have the crews we have the directors, we're ready, you know, to tell our own stories. Still room for growth as Vancouver continues to pump out the most screen-based content in the country. Julie Nolan, Global News. It was a high-flying night for Stunts Canada last night and members of the film industry all for a very good cause. Hundreds of people gathered at the Commodore Ballroom last night to raise money for children living with cancer. It was also the 52nd anniversary of the Stunts Canada organization. The event was organized by the Danny Virtue Foundation, featuring live music and touching speeches. The proceeds raised will go to various foundations to help sick kids. And everybody here bought a ticket and the funds are going to the charities. We are celebrating not only Stunts Canada's anniversary, but the film industry and back in business two years after COVID. We are tickled pink to be here. The band's about to start. The place is going to be sold out and it's going to be fun. Four different foundations teamed up to ultimately make the event possible. After the break, Asa is back with sports and the Cinderella story that wasn't. Down the field, inside the 20, gets it to Wolitarski for the second time. The BC Lions take on the two-time Grey Cup champions looking for a three-peat. The highlights and the lowlights after the break. Stay with us. Tune in to Rise for BC Kids on Global BC. On November 26th from 7 to 11 p.m., discover the newest ways medical experts at BC Children's Hospital are breaking through barriers in child health and the kids and families whose lives have been transformed because of it. Get your body moving this November. National Kinesiology Week is November 21st to 27th. Find activities to help you feel better, move better, and live better. For Our BC, I'm Michael Newman. Our BC is brought to you by Preventable and ICBC. Yellow lines don't look out for pedestrians in low light. You do. Let's keep it preventable. Welcome back. Asa is back. Big day in sports. Massive day for the local teams. Uh, Not the best results, though, for the BC Lions and the Vancouver Canucks. We'll get into the highlights now. The winner of the West Division Final will meet the Toronto Argonauts in Regina to battle for the Grey Cup next week. But for most people who follow the CFL, they know that the winner of the West would be favorite to win the Cup. So today's contest in Winnipeg between the Lions and Bombers really felt like a championship game. It was a typical cold Winnipeg day and 30,000 screaming fans packed IG Field. The home fans were treated to an early touchdown for the home team. Blue Bombers scoring first rookie Dalton show and he's had a great 
rookie campaign. He scampers into the end zone to give Winnipeg the early lead. And then things got a little wild. Lions punting in the first quarter here. It's fumbled, bounces around. It's so cold and wet and hard to pick up. Lions eventually fall on it. And they have the football at the two-yard line from there. Anthony Pipkin comes in for the short yardage play. He scores. Lions take a 7-6 lead. They were trailing 9-7 in the second corner. I mentioned the wild plays. Here's another one. On this punt, Janemian Grant makes sure he catches it cleanly, starts to the right, then cuts back across the field. One more line to judge. He does so and runs all the way in for the touchdown. An incredible play. Great touchdown. He extends Winnipeg's lead. Let's get to the third quarter now. Bombers score to go up 25-11, but on the conversion attempt, this has never been done in a division final. Mark Leggio misses. Terry Williams has a chance to return it for two points. He runs along the sideline. He's going so fast. He's as fast as that blue truck on the billboard. And he gets all the way into the end zone. Two points for that return. And that made it 28. Or it gets to 28-20 here as... Uh, Nathan Rourke connects with Alex Hollins, who gets into the end zone. So that made it 28-20. And then the final play of the game, desperation time for the Lions. They need a touchdown to tie this up and a two-point conversion. So the, the lateral play starts here. Hollins has it. Burnham caught it initially. It's pitched back to Rhymes. He's out of options, out of energy, and out of time. Bombers win it 28-20 and advance to face Toronto in next week's Grey Cup. Lions tip their cap to the two-time defending champs. I'll just say uh, they, they earned it, you know. Um, they worked for it. I mean, if they didn't, the, the odds would have been different, you know. So, I mean, they gave a little bit more than us, um, yeah, when it came down to it. But we fought, and we fought, um, and that's that. What's going to happen in the next season and all that stuff is, is really at the back of my mind what – What's hard right now, what stings right now, is, is for people like Burnham, for people like, uh, you know, our, our veterans on this team, um, you know, the people that I was I was playing for out there. And, and when you're not able to get it done and you put out a performance like that, then, um, you know, that, that makes it a lot tougher. So it, it definitely stings for sure. I know it's in the back of your mind, but I know BC Lions fans are wanting to see Nathan Rourke back in a Lions uniform next year. Will they see you back in a Lions uniform next season? I, I, I don't know. I, I'd, I'd sure like to be the way that I'm feeling right now. Mm, yeah, interesting to see what will happen there. Meanwhile, it's in 24 hours after losing to the Maple Leafs in Toronto. Vancouver was back on the ice today in Boston. It was game four of a grueling five-game road trip. Thatcher Demko got the starts in the States where he played his college hockey with the Boston College Eagles. And Bo Horvat has been the best connect to start this season. He has 13 goals after scoring yesterday. But Boston strikes first in this game. Taylor Hall patiently. Sets up Connor Clifton, his one-timer. Beats a screened Demko. The Bruins go up 1-0. Then things get physical. Kyle Burrows, his hard hit gets the attention of Thomas Noshek. So they duke it out before they both go to the box. Noshek picks up an instigator penalty, so the Knucks get a power play. And JT Miller gets a breakaway. Great move, great goal in a 1-1 hockey game. Midway through the first now, Demko makes an excellent reaction save 
You'll see what I mean when you see the replay. The puck actually gets deflected here and almost sneaks through Demko. I'm not sure he knows where it is, but he knows to fall down. He falls on the puck. Then A.J. Greer hits Vasily Paul in. So they throw fists. Paul Colson, I uh, probably get the, uh, the wrong end of this one. He's knocked down, bloodied up, and out of the game. Doesn't return. Still in the first. Patrice Bergeron turns in this pass from David Pasternak, and Bergeron scores his eighth of the season. Then in the second period, this is a great save by Omar on Mikheyev in close. JT Miller beat him when he was outstretched earlier. Mikheyev can't beat him that time. And then Boston adds to their lead. Pavel Zaka playing a little one-two. Beats Demko. Boost Boudreaux, not happy. They never had a, a lead in this game, trailing 3-1 at this stage. And then Marshan gets in on it. And Vancouver Canucks fans never like to see Marshan score. Boston's loving it. They're undefeated at home so far this season. Dries gets the Canucks back within two. Scoring on the power play here. Thought it might have gone off to Nika, but it goes straight in. And then with the extra attacker, 4-2 Boston. They fired into the empty nets. And the Bruins go on to win this one 5-2. Another loss for Vancouver, 9-0 at home for the Boston Bruins. Meanwhile, Canada has named its 26-man roster for the World Cup. Of course, Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David lead the group. Also making the team is Whitecap striker Lucas Cavallini. And another is defender Joel Waterman, who started playing soccer in Aldergrove, went to Trinity Western University, and now plays for CF Montreal. One big omission, Daniil Henry wasn't selected because of an injury he picked up ahead of the game on Friday against Bahrain. And then back to football, back to where actually Alfonso Davies plays. They're playing this one in Germany. Pete Carroll, Tom Brady before this game between the Seahawks and Buccaneers. Julio Jones with a 31-yard TD catch. This first touchdown in Germany. Good for him. Coming from Brady, 7-0. Tampa Bay, Chris Godwin scores as well. Taking this one from Tom. Tom looking pretty good. In Germany, they took a commanding lead. They were up 21-3 in, in the fourth. And then the Seahawks came back, made this one a little bit closer in late going, but that's as close as they could get. 21-16, the final. And that's it. So a tough day for uh, local sports fans. Yeah. Not a whole lot to celebrate. Oh, man. Okay, well, that was also a lot of talking for you, that sportscast. So I'm dismissed? Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> but stick around because after All the right. break, there's actually somebody or something oh. that is actually more talkative than you. Meet the real Chatterbox, the bird who will not stop talking. That is after the break. Stay with us. Pink Shirt Day reminds us all to be kind, to lift each other up, to speak up for those who don't have a voice. You know, like every day. The CKNW Kids Fund Pink Shirt Day, presented by Global BC and CKNW 980. Visit our online store at pinkshirtday.ca. A chatterbox from Nova Scotia is currently the talk of the internet. And as Amber Friday reports, it's obvious why Kiwi, the parakeet, has become an avian sensation. Meet Kiwi. Two-year-old Indian ringneck parakeet from Dartmouth who quickly rose to internet fame after his owner posted a video of him on TikTok that went viral. So the first video that I posted about him was the first time he ever told me he loved me. I love you. <laughs> I love you. 
I love you. <laughs> and that went crazy. And so from there, we got the TikTok up to two and a half million followers. And then I just started a few months ago my YouTube adventures. Their YouTube channel, Tamara's Blue Chicken, has 300,000 followers and has earned them a YouTube Creator Award. Mercer says their content brings his fans an immense amount of joy and says people will turn to their social media pages when they're having a bad day. Just because he's so positive and loving and it definitely puts a smile on their face and that's just ideally what we wanna, what we wanna spread is just positivity and love. I love you. Kiwi can also give high fives, call their family dog, and most recently has learned how to wave. And his impressive vocabulary is roughly 100 words. <laughs> he'll come close to my mouth and he'll put his beak on my lips. So he'll just like that. And then I'll speak and he'll typically eventually pick up the words. Mercer has recently started selling Kiwi merchandise, which has been wildly successful. Kiwi plushies and keychains with his infamous sayings are sent to places like Malaysia, Spain and Australia, to name a few. It's so exciting to see the amount of like the places where people have watched Kiwi to the point that they would get the merch of Kiwi. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, yeah. it's mind boggling. Mercer says she fills orders daily to keep up with the requests in what has now turned into an unlikely business venture. Amber Friday, Global News, Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. Okay, that is so cute. Oh. Bird kisses. Yeah, so <laughs> Who would have thought? So do you have to train the bird um, to say those things or will it just pick up on the things you may say behind the back of your spouse and then get into Well, right. Later. Do they say stuff you don't right. want to have repeated? Right. That's, that <laughs> That's a follow-up story to come. <laughs> Quick look at weather, Yvonne, before we go. Uh, fog overnight, uh, chilly down at the freezing mark, but pleasant over the next few days. We've got some sunshine in the mix through the afternoon. Okay, that's all for us tonight. Thanks for sharing part of your Sunday with us. We'll see you right back here at 11. Good night. <laughs>